The Old Testament reading today is taken from the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, verse 1 to 4. The Church Bible is in, you can find them in page 691 to page 692. Isaiah 61, verse 1 to 4. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the, way, and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of faint spirit. They will be called ox of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to displace his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins, they shall rise up the former devastations, they shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. This is the word of the Lord. Just to remind you, this week we are continuing our series on what Christians believe, the, the basics of the, the Christian faith. And uh, we are now looking at the uh, Holy Spirit, who I described last week as maybe the most neglected person of the Trinity. Uh, in Christian history, the third person of the Trinity has received very little attention until recent years. I mean, look at some of the ancient creeds of the church, and you'll see large sections about the Father and the Son, and then hardly a reference, barely a reference to the Spirit. The Nicene Creed, which is used in most of the major religious or the Christian traditions, has paragraphs about the Son making clear who He is and, and what He came to do. And then the Spirit there feels almost like an afterthought. Uh, but last week I mentioned that in recent years, certainly within my lifetime, uh, there has been this surge of interest in the Spirit. And uh, the spirit, you might say, has suddenly become popular. Uh, and of course, that's a good thing, except, uh, as we saw last week, you never really know where the spirit of God will appear and uh, where the spirit will lead and, and what the spirit of God might prompt you to do. Uh, we talked about the spirit last week as a surprising and, and sometimes disruptive presence in the church. Uh, the spirit doesn't have much use for complacent and uh, contented people. So let's look this week at uh, uh, Luke chapter 4, and uh, I think you are familiar with the story. Jesus is invited to uh, read and speak at his hometown synagogue in Nazareth, and and the scroll uh, from which he reads on this occasion contains the words we heard in our Old Testament uh, reading today from Isaiah. And then uh, when Jesus is finished reading, uh, the scroll is rolled back, he hands it back to the attendant, and he makes a remarkable statement. And we don't have time to read this entire story, uh, but I can tell you this much, not everyone liked what he said at that point. 
So let's read this together. Uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, beginning with verse 14. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And then he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear friends of Jesus Christ, uh, Last week, when I introduced the topic of the Holy Spirit to you, I'm afraid that I said something that I wish I had not said. Uh, Years ago, I fell into the bad habit of spending all day Monday going through the sermon that I had just given the the day before, so I would preach it all over again, time after time, in my mind, wishing that I could have one more opportunity to get it right. It's a terrible habit, uh, to be honest with you. And uh, I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing that uh, I'm not alone in this. It must be an occupational hazard. Uh, Every preacher, uh, every preacher must do at least a little of that. And if Sam were here, I would say, nip this in the bud. (laughs) Don't go into your uh, ministry with this uh, this particular habit. Anyway, I started the sermon last week by saying that the words Holy Ghost uh, can be uh, confusing and frightening to uh, English speakers. Uh, I realize that the German word for spirit, Geist, uh, looks and sounds a lot like that English word, uh, ghost. Uh, So this is mainly an issue for English speakers. Uh, And and frankly, the words Holy Ghost just sound odd to modern ears. And I told you last week, by way of an explanation, that that name uh, for the third person of the Trinity comes originally from the King James Version of the Bible. Uh, which uses that name at least 90 times, uh, maybe more. You can find the Holy Spirit there too, uh, I think as many as seven times, but uh, a significantly lower uh, number. Anyway, I regret having said that. Uh, What I said was true, Uh, it's all true, uh, but I wish I hadn't mentioned it, and here's why. Uh, Christians, I find, tend to be so apologetic about what they believe. Right? They're always looking for ways to tone it down and, and, and to remove the mystery and, and to make their ideas more understandable. When I was a child, I used to dread Communion Sunday, and, and this was partly because the service would go so long, but it was also because there was so much talking. The, the pastor from my childhood, whom I greatly admire, I, I mean, he taught me the faith, but he, he would stand behind the table on Communion Sunday and he would explain everything. And then he would read a statement, and it was the same statement every time we celebrated the, the, the sacrament, and, and it was about the meal, and what it meant, and how we should understand it. And, and when he was finished, all of the mystery, and the power, and the drama was gone. 
We Christians do that a lot. I mean, have you noticed? I can't be the only one who, who thinks this. We take our faith, which is just filled with mystery and wonder and drama, and, then, and, and by the time we are finished explaining it to people, making it understandable, it's empty and lifeless. Uh, Frederick Beekner, an American writer and, and Presbyterian pastor, says that the word spirit... Uh, in the English language, I suppose, the, the word spirit has come to mean something pale and shapeless like an unmade bed. School spirit, the, the Christmas spirit, the Holy Spirit, each of these, he, he writes, points to something you know is supposed to get you on your feet cheering, but which you somehow can't rise to do. I think he's right. The, the word spirit doesn't mean all that much anymore. The word spiritual doesn't mean all that much anymore. If you tell me uh, that you're spiritual, I know that you want to communicate something important to me. But you should know that that word has lost just about all of its meaning. And, uh, or, or worse, I would say that the word spiritual has become offensive. It, I mean, I tend to avoid people who describe themselves as spiritual. It's a way of saying that they don't believe in anything, or it's a way of saying they believe in everything. And, and, and frankly, those conversations never seem to go anywhere. When the Bible tells us about the Spirit of God, there is always something mysterious and unpredictable going on. When you read about the Spirit of God, you just know that anything can happen and that whatever happens is not what you expected. Last week I mentioned that the Spirit was unpredictable and disruptive and the Spirit doesn't always operate according to our guidelines and constitutions and nominating committees. Uh, the Spirit of God doesn't even follow our order of worship. I don't think the Spirit of God cares where we are here. Right? And, and, and I still think that's true. That's not the part of the sermon I wish I could do over. But this week I want to get far more specific about what the Spirit of God does. I mean, why do we have a third person of the Trinity? What is the function of... Uh, of this third person, and frankly, what does it mean for you and me? Is it good news? Uh, on the day of Pentecost, when uh, the Holy Spirit was poured out on uh, 120 or so people who were gathered in the upper room, uh, we sometimes think that that was the first time the Spirit appeared. That something altogether new happens uh, in that story, something that had never happened before. And I tried to show last week that the Spirit of God is present throughout the Bible, Old and New Testaments, that the Spirit was present already at creation, that the Spirit was the creative force at the moment of creation, and that the Spirit often provides the spark that, that brings something new into existence. So when the Spirit of God was poured out at Pentecost, you could say this was nothing new. Uh, this was part of God's ongoing work in the world. What, what we saw in the creation story, we see again at Pentecost. Something that didn't exist before, something that no one could have imagined, suddenly came to life. And it came to life, of course, with power and drama and mystery. Uh, yes, according to the story, the apostles and, and the others uh, who had gathered began to speak excitedly to each other. Yes, they were speaking languages that foreigners in the street could understand. 
And, and yes, they were acting strangely. Uh, people on the street that morning were, were puzzled uh, by the behavior of these uh, Galileans. I assume most of them were Galileans. A, a few people, and, and there are always a few cynical people in every crowd. Uh, but a few people that morning said, they've had too much to drink. Right? You, you don't see people acting this way all the time. Right? Something is going on with them. Uh, specifically, what happened at Pentecost was that a, a, a group of uh, scared and unorganized and, and not terribly well-educated people became a movement, uh, what we call today the, the Christian church. That term didn't exist at the time, of course, but that's what God called it to being on Pentecost, something that did not exist before. Uh, the church came into being on Pentecost. The Spirit of God brought it to life and, and provided the spark that set it on fire. And it was a movement or a fire that changed the world and that is still changing the world. And not only does the Spirit of God act with groups of people, uh, the, the Spirit acts with individuals as well. Peter, uh, who most likely had never done any public speaking before in his life, right, became the finest and most persuasive preacher who ever lived. Right? No one saw that coming. 3,000 people listened to every word that he spoke. And, and, and when he was finished, the story says they were cut to the heart. And, and they said, brothers, what should we do? I mean, I can tell you, every preacher dreams about a response like that. 3,000 people found themselves convicted by the words that he spoke. And, and they asked to be baptized that day. The Holy Spirit had, had made something of Peter that, that, that he would never have become on his own. So the Spirit of God comes to groups of people. The Spirit of God comes to individuals. And what does it do? Well, uh, as we saw last week, the, the, the Spirit turns lives upside down. Uh, you, you can be going in one direction with your life, and then the Spirit of God gets a hold of you, and suddenly you're going in a different direction altogether. Right? But I think we can say it better than that. Right? What we believe, what Christians have believed down through the centuries, is that the Spirit of God represents Christ to us. And that, that, that's technical language, but I, I think it's very important to know what we believe is that uh, something happens to make Christ real to us. What exists outside of us suddenly becomes part of us. Right, something we only thought about and, and read about and had conversations about suddenly takes over our lives and animates them and gives them life. To give you another illustration, think of the Bible and, and uh, what happens when we read it. The Bible's a book and it has a cover with pages in between and it's written by human authors and it was written over a, a surprisingly long period of time. I used to tell people that it was ink on paper, now... Uh, the Bible is a bunch of digital bits that we download to our phones and our, our tablets. Uh, but, and here's the point I want to make, that th those words come alive. And, and they become God's word to us when the Spirit of God represents them to us. Right? They, they take on power and, and they take on urgency and they take on meaning when the Spirit of God translates them for us. In that moment... You know, when the Spirit of God is acting uh, through us, uh, they're no longer human words, they're no longer ink on paper, bits, digital bits, but they, they become God's very word to us. 
I mean, how does that happen? Well, I mean, it happens through the work of the Holy Spirit. When we pray a prayer for illumination and worship, and if you come from a, a more liturgical tradition, then you, you must be used to this. There's always a prayer before the scripture reading and always a prayer before the, uh, the, the sermon, and the prayer for illumination is asking uh, the Spirit of God to act as a translator for us. So remove the, the, the preacher's massive ego. You know, take away uh, his bad speaking habits. You know, uh, clear our minds of all the thoughts that we've brought into worship today that are getting in the way of hearing God's word to us. You know, uh, help us to hear you, O Lord. Help us to hear what you have to say to us. Um, Most Sundays after worship, I stand uh, at the door of the church. I've been doing this for years. And, and over the years, I, I have to say, I've heard some remarkable comments. I mean, you would, <laughs> you would not believe. And, but often people will say, this is a, a, a typical one, people will say, oh, that, that, that was just what I needed to hear today. And sometimes I can't help myself. I should just keep quiet or say thank you. Uh, it, but sometimes I say, oh, really, what did, what did you hear? And, and then the person will say something that you, you couldn't find anywhere in my sermon. <laughs> and, and, and at that moment I think well did I say that? I don't think so and yet and I, I, I don't want to diminish uh, the importance of this and I really don't want to make a joke about it although I just did I mean we, we, what we believe is that the spirit of God speaks within us right? telling us what we need to hear and every preacher who is honest with himself or herself, knows that it is not our words that change lives. It is the Spirit of God that is working in and through what we say. Preachers, if they have good emotional health, know that they're just a vessel through which the Spirit works. In Romans 8, I think I should mention this as well. In Romans 8, the Apostle Paul Uh, seems to say that there are times when we want to pray, we feel a desire to pray, but we can't find the words. Uh, I I don't know if you remember this part of uh, chapter 8 or not, and at this point Paul writes, this is in uh, verse 26, uh, Paul writes that the Spirit uh, intercedes. At that precise moment, the Spirit comes into us and, and intercedes with sighs too deep for words. In other words, at those moments, the Spirit enables us to pray. The Spirit gives us the language to speak. The Spirit makes our feelings and longings audible. When I was younger, I confess, I had no idea what that meant. Like so many other statements in the Bible, that one was a complete mystery to me, but getting older has a way of making some things clearer. What do you pray, for example, at a parent's graveside? What do you say at that moment when you are saying goodbye to your mother or your father who is being laid to rest? What do you say when you hold your first grandson in your arms, as I did two or three weeks ago? There are no words. But the Spirit of God intercedes at those moments and gives us the words to say. The Spirit prays. On our behalf. Let's move on.
We, we say that the Spirit of God uh, represents Christ to us and makes Christ come alive in us and translates the Word of God uh, for us, but to, to what purpose? I mean, why is all of that going on? And I, I want to end this morning or make this the, the, the final thought that the Spirit of God uh, comes to us not for our enjoyment and uh, not for our personal pleasure. And you you may not think that's a point that needs to be made, but uh, I think it does, and hear me out uh, on this. Uh, Not every person who is filled with the Spirit of God feels pleasure as a result of it. Uh, Every gift that the the, the Spirit gives to us is given for a purpose. Uh, Paul writes to the church at at Corinth that the the, the gifts of the Spirit are, are given for the common good. Right, So if you know something about the situation in Corinth, then you know that uh, things there were out of control. Maybe not all the time, but they certainly sound out of control when you read these uh, letters from Paul. And uh, So I don't think that's an exaggeration. I mean, they were drinking too much at the Lord's Supper, for heaven's sake. And, and some people were uh, arriving late, and then they didn't get anything to eat. And that's just the beginning of the, the, the problems that they had anyway. And I mean, if, I, if our home groups, if the home groups in this church reported that kind of behavior, that we would be horrified, and Paul was horrified. So he writes strong words to them, and you can find them in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 uh, through 14, those three chapters. They're, they're devoted to this misuse of spiritual gifts. Paul says, you're speaking in tongues, good for you. You're engaging in healing, good for you. Prophesying, good. I'm glad to hear it. All right, but those gifts or manifestations of the Spirit, he writes, are not for your personal enjoyment. Use them, share them. They are meant to build everyone up. When the Bible tells us that the Spirit of God was on Jesus, it was not for his personal enjoyment. It was not to make his spiritual life richer and more meaningful and, and so on, so he had a better relationship with God. When the Spirit of God came to rest on Jesus, he did not rest. Right? He, he set out on a mission that, as you know, led to his death on the cross. The Spirit of God pushed him to live a sacrificial life, a, a life lived on behalf of others. When the Spirit of God rested on him, as I said, he did not rest, he went to work. This church, I believe, has an astonishing variety of spiritual gifts. I look out at you on uh, on Sunday mornings and I can see them. I can see that God has poured out on us gift upon gift. And of course, that Spirit of God, as I mentioned, is is working within you to, to bring you to faith and to help you to pray and and, and that, that spirit stands with you in, in times of need and it makes you obedient. And, and I uh, suppose you don't want me to say this, no one uh, ever does. But that spirit has come upon you to push you out of your comfort zone and into the world. Did Peter say on Pentecost morning, if he did, it's not recorded in, in the book of Acts, did Peter say, you know, Lord, I'm not really much of a public speaker. I prefer to work in the kitchen. You know, I don't see it there. Uh, I, I was 23 years old when I told God I wasn't much of a public speaker, uh, which everyone could see <laughs> at the time. 
and, and that I preferred to work behind the scenes, maybe not in the kitchen, but uh, certainly not in front of a lot of people. And, and then, I don't know how, I, I, as I said, I was 23 years old, I took a deep breath, I cleared my throat, and uh, I opened my mouth for the first time in public. <clears throat> Must have been the Holy Ghost. That's the only explanation I can think of. So we, uh, you and I, have good news to speak. News that the world is aching to hear, and and I I hope I don't need to convince you that that's true. Right? The need in the world seems so obvious, and and, and we are called to speak, and, and we are called to live the good news at home, and in the office, and at school, and in public places. And the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost, will give you the words that you need to speak. I hope you will pray now and then to the Spirit of God. But when you do, be prepared. You may find yourself living a life, and I can say this from personal experience, you may find yourself living a life that you never expected to live. Pray that prayer. Amen.